Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. You are now listening to the Half a Bird Sports Show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Half a Bird Sports Show. You have so many options for high flying entertainment. If you chose to ride with us, and we appreciate that. You can find us wherever podcasts are served twice a week. You make sure you go out and rate us and review us and give us five stars. I think we deserve it. Give us five stars anyway. Just gift it. So I'm going to go ahead and dive into a few topics. Today we're going to talk about the fumble by the NBA and ESPN, steal by Run CMC, interception by the NBA G League, and flags on the play on The Last Dance. Thank you for always tuning in and showing your support. Solo Weekends with Jay. We'll start right now. So, to be honest, I wasn't actually planning on putting doing a solo show this week. I was going to kind of take the week off. I didn't do the Monday show with Jimmy. He kind of took over that for us, you know, because I fell in a manhole and uh, had to recover from my injuries. But, no, not that's a joke. But... I was going to just, you know, enjoy the weekend, relax, clear my mind, especially, you know, being stir crazy, being inside of four walls on a consistent basis. It kind of gets to all of us. But a lot of stuff came across the wire that I just had to comment on. So shout out to Jimmy for a great solo show. He did a really good job this past Monday talking about uh, contracts and things of that nature. And now it's my turn to do the exact same thing. And this one, I'm going to call this episode The Hater's Ball. Because I'm literally going to be hating on a lot of different things. And with the four topics that I chose, if you don't like them in some way, in the way, you'll, you'll understand why I picked them. But I am inclined to believe you are a hater based upon the things that I'm going to say. So, yes, I don't like being a hater. But today, I don't have much of a choice. It just all came out that way. So it's going to be so negative. It's not going to be... It's not going to be as negative as you think. It'll be probably a little bit more humorous to go along with it, but it's more negative than I am used to doing. And so I've got to, I'm getting my mind together now, prepping you guys for this information. We're going to dive right into the first topic, which is a big fumble by ESPN and the NBA. So the NBA and ESPN have made a valiant attempt to entertain us. They're throwing out numerous ideas, especially while they're trying to salvage the NBA season. First off, they have this, they had the NBA 2K tourney. So they had players playing NBA 2K together. Then this past week, they had uh, a game of horse between former and current NBA players and WNBA and collegiate, uh, uh, well, WNBA players mainly, and, uh, and women going to be going into WNBA draft. So, They've tried to really give us something that's going to keep us entertained. And my, my goodness, I'm sorry. It just turned out a lot worse than I expected. 
Now, another thing I planned on doing over the weekend or actually during this week while I was out was I was going to try to get some more videos built, put some more videos up on the YouTube channel and really get back into uh, the editing and stuff. As you all know, it takes time to build that stuff and it, it's, it's a lot of work and uh, trying to juggle that with the nine to five sometimes gets tough. And I started to recognize that when I record my videos in the evening, I look tired and it's like, eh, I don't want that to come across from my excitement of talking about the topic is just, it takes so long and taxing to build the content, build the information and then put it out there. So I'll have some videos built this weekend because I have more rest and a lot more time to do it. And so outside of playing video games, but the NBA and the ESPN attempt, and it was, it was bad. It was. So the NBA 2K tourney, it was honestly a full fledged snooze fest. I tuned into it. I tried to watch it. The issue I ran into with NBA 2K and what could have made it better is commentary engagement fan engagement they should have like a twitter feed going on live during it players could have comment on people's tweets you know espn could have filtered out anything with not good or with bad um content or something of that nature to really get some, some sparks some sort of engagement and then conversation the players half the time didn't say anything i mean besides patrick beverly being exactly what we needed as much as jimmy hated it he was what we needed he needed someone to get everybody riled up, worked up, and into the games and wanting to lose. We need villains. Villains is probably the best thing you have in everything because it gives you somebody to root against, someone for you to hate, someone to really just grind your gears. We ain't got that really in NBA 2K tourney besides Patrick Beverly. The rest of the games, it was just kind of casual. You know, some of the guys kind of chatted. Some of them were more so starstruck. I mean, it was Derrick Jones uh, Jr. and Kevin Durant playing. He was more starstruck than he was anything playing the sticks with Kevin Durant because he don't know Kevin. Like, you would think that every employee in the league knows each other. It's not kind of how that is. They know names. I mean, it's no different than you looking through the directory at your job. You probably know names because you've seen it come across in an email, but you ain't mad said person probably never will meet said person and that's kind of the situation with the Derrick Jones Jr. piece I mean he's probably seen Kevin he's probably he probably never got to match up with him on the court yet it's just because I mean Kevin's been hurt but it was not entertaining and then so the horse one I thought okay this is an opportunity for the NBA to do something that could work because you can do it in a distance but at the same time it's not probably going to be very successful I didn't see it as being going to be successful because the NBA has tried this on a couple of occasions. Now they had a horse game back in the seventies that literally died after it was done. This, and this is all during the all-star weekends. Then they brought it back in 2010 and they had the wrong people winning. They had Kevin Durant and Rajon Rondo basically having a three point contest. And you know how that went. (laughs) He won both times Kevin Durant basically just outshot everybody and so yeah you would think it's neat to see these athletes do things that only they could do but for the most part they're doing the same things we would do in a game of horse shooting from half court shooting with one leg up under the leg layups (laughs) shooting behind the backboard all the stuff that we've all seen and done in our own backyard before and it just did not work out that's what happened and then it made it worse because it was all in video conferences and everybody had different environments when it came to them competing. Wasn't entertaining. They could barely hear each other. No one was engaging in conversation. Any of that. So the miss in that one, along with the 2K situation, what I would have probably done different, I would have done a ton of research on each player that I would have to talk about or watch or, com- or watch compete. 
and I started just drilling them with questions about the game. That's something that I know a lot of fans and even casuals enjoy when they start to understand some of the nuances of the game, not only asking them what they made, why they made their shot selection, what's been their favorite shot in horse in years past, what's the coolest thing they've done, but even ask, for example, Chauncey Billups, NBA Finals, game this, you dropped this many points. What, what do you feel like looking back and reflecting on it? What was going through your mind in that time? Shamiko Holslaw talked to there about, you know, um, things at Tennessee. I mean, just go down the list of accomplishments that they, that these players have and just kind of see what their thoughts are. Zach Levine, you was in a dunk contest twice and got kind of gypped each time. What was your feelings on it? Or not, not probably going that far, but more so get them to really engage and talk, you know, even throw a little banter out there, you know, or even give suggestions. It'd been great to have fans give suggestions on different shots they could do live. That would have been entertaining for the most part because it's all done basically over a Zoom conference call. That's kind of where they fumbled in trying to entertain us is because it just it felt not only rushed and forced, it felt like it didn't go through enough channels of evaluation to determine what's going to really get people's attention. Yes, we are starving for competition, but not like that. That was a lot more boring than I would have ever expected. So first thing I'm hating on is how NBA and ESPN – they did make an attempt, and I will give them an E for effort, but they totally fumbled the bag on that one. And I'll get back to the NBA in a bit, but it's time for me to start hating on some NFL as well. Yeah, I gotta, gotta. I told you this is the Haters Ball Edition of the Half a Burst Sports Show. I'm going to walk in here and just start hating on everybody and everything they do. And this one is not really that much of a hate, more so just an enlightenment for a lot of people on why I feel like run CMC, Christian McCaffrey running back for the Carolina Panthers, got the contract that he got, basically got the contract that Le'Veon Bell deserved. Let me explain. So, Coach Jimmy kind of bashed a little bit on why these players didn't get their check and why they didn't deserve to get a check. And what they did after they got a, finally a check somewhere else and why Christian McCaffrey in a way deserved his. And I'm not really in alignment with that. This is my thoughts behind it. So Christian McCaffrey got his deal. He got his bag. Four years, 64 mil, more than half guaranteed. Something that's unprecedented when it comes to a running back. Most running backs don't get contracts this early, especially when teams have opportunity to franchise tag them the next year. And franchise tag them again and really go through negotiations. So there's a couple reasons why I feel like they went ahead and knocked it out. I'd say there's three reasons I see that they did it today in comparison to waiting, which typically is what happens. But it's not the reasons you think. This is what everyone's believing. They're believing that Christian McCaffrey got this contract because it's production. You think, you know, because he was the first running back since Marshall Falk to get a thousand yards rushing and a thousand receiving yards. That's what a lot of people are believing it is. Also, they're believing in importance. He is the most valuable player on that Carolina Panthers team. So everyone thinks that that's the reason why he's getting that check. Those two are the most common ones. And then the third one is, is the most ridiculous one of them all because he's a white running back. No, he didn't get the check because of one, two, or three. Now, the reasoning that the, 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 the organization gave for why they gave him the contract also wasn't the real reason why they gave him the contract. What they say it was is this is an example of what we will pay players 
this is the type of players that we're looking for to pay and have on our team. He's more than a running back. He also is a wide receiver for us. Those two are also, for the most part, lies also. There's a reason why. These are the three reasons why Christian McCaffrey got his check. First and foremost, first off, there's a slew of running backs about to get paid. And Carolina wanted to be out front before these other productive running backs get theirs. Who are they? James Conner for the Steelers. Alvin Kamara for the Saints. Adam Jones up in Pittsburgh. Austin Eckler out there in Los Angeles Chargers. All of them are basically in line to begin getting their extensions as well. So it makes sense to pay your guy that you know is going to command the most before they do so that they you can set the benchmark instead of them setting the benchmark. That's one. But why would they do that now? Why, why, why would they want to be the ones that create that benchmark in comparison to like a situation where Le'Veon Bell deserved to get his money and, it, and the Steelers didn't want to pay? The Carolina Panthers also have a new coaching staff, and they also got a new general manager. The new general manager, Matt Rule, former coach Baylor. He's new to this. He's new to personnel and coaching in the NFL. Now, he's had one stint in the NFL. He was an assistant for the Giants in 2012 for a year. He's like an assistant to the assistant offensive line coach. Then he left, went to Temple, Baylor, and now he's back in the NFL. So he doesn't have that much experience in the NFL itself, especially when it comes to player personnel. He's a new general manager, and the owner's giving him that type of power. I mean, look at what the owner gave him as far as a contract goes. All that guaranteed money, he basically just married himself to Matt. He ain't got a choice but to let Matt do what he do. This guy's not going anywhere. So Matt Rule basically has been handed the keys to this Ferrari with just now getting his driver's license a year and a half ago. It's a little not safe on that part, but that's the reason why Christian McCaffrey got that check. He didn't get the check because of his importance or his production. It's all because he has a new general manager who's not ready. Now, there's one last piece that goes into that portion of it, too, that helped him get that is that Matt Rule was able to get him a cheap quarterback. There's a reason why quarterbacks are the most important position and the highest paid in the NFL is because without one, you can't do much. They got Teddy Bridgewater on a three-year, $63 million deal, $21 million a year, which is really a bargain in nowadays in the NFL. I think he's ranked probably in the the 10th to 15th range, almost middle of the pack when it comes to being paid at a, as a starting quarterback. He's up. He's 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 probably in the top between five. He's probably in the top fifteen. He's in the top fifteen. I'll say that much. So he's not in the middle of the road, but he's not in the upper echelon of highest paid quarterbacks. But he's getting that bread because he could have commanded probably thirty from somewhere else. But the twenties the most secure, and a lot of a lot of teams are going ahead and getting that over with because they don't want to deal with you know trying to fig- negotiate with multiple candidates and that that number going up. Because I mean, heck, Dak is trying to get out dang near forty. So. You get what I'm saying? They got a cheap quarterback, so now they can't pay Christian McCaffrey. But the issue with this now is, what about the rest of your team? You've allotted all this money to your running back in a position that historically declines after that type of a productive season because as great as Christian McCaffrey McCaffrey is, I don't think he's really a freak of nature. He's just really, really, really good. So 
eventually I expect him next year to have a kind of a down year. People clown me for it. I'm just going to say that. And so you think, okay, but Jay, he did have a productive year. There's a, that's why he got that money. Let's talk about his production and explain to you why the quarterback is the most important position in the league. So Christian came in last season. Like I said, he had a thousand yards rushing and a thousand yards receiving first time since Marshall Falk and Marshall Falk was unreal on the football field. Even with the additional pieces that he had later on with the Rams, Marshall Falk was ridiculous in the nineties. Christian McCaffrey started the year off, right? He was productive to start. He started the year off. He had in the, in the first, what is this? Uh, eight games. He rushed for 800 yards, over 800 yards, almost 900 yards, and had 363 yards receiving. Pretty solid. So the things that jump out to me are the yards, also at a 5.34 yards per attempt clip. Ridiculous. And he was catching at about eight yards a catch, which is very normal for a running back out the backfield. And the best part is the team was 5-3. and three. So you can't beat that. You figured that, okay, that's what you need to be productive and win games. His pace, he was on pace for 700 yards receiving and 1,700 yards rushing. Sweet. That's what you got. But you also got to remember the problem that you ran into in Carolina. Cam wasn't playing. So they had Kyle Allen as their quarterback, who only had one start the year before. Everyone was on the Kyle Allen train. Everyone was hyped by that train. He went 5-3. and three. Yeah, Panthers are probably going to make the playoffs with this new young stud quarterback who's the future of Carolina. What happened afterwards? They went on an eight-game losing streak. Right. That's that's what happens when you don't have the quarterback you need to lead the team. And it and the and that and that eight game losing streak led to Christian McCaffrey carrying the load for that team. That's where the production came. Most of it was in garbage time. So after the league figured out Kyle Allen, McCaffrey's CMC's running went down about five yards per game. He averaged four yards per carry instead of the five-something he was before, which is a difference. 50 yards per game dropped, roughly 47 yards if you want to be exact, and all of his catches and yards went up. In the second half of the season, he had 642 yards catching, and he only rushed for 500 yards. So it basically balanced itself out. He dropped badly because he was literally the only productive person on there. The pace that he was on for those last eight games, if he would have played 16 games like those, 148 catches for 1,200 yards receiving with 1,000 yards rushing on 244 carries. That is a good almost 400 touches. And remember, he was the only player on that team that you could probably even name. I mean, they have, what, a couple of wire wide receivers that were okay that nobody really knew about. But the reason why Christian McCaffrey was so productive, CMC was productive because Kyle Allen was doing nothing but check downs, dumping the ball because he couldn't figure it out. The line wasn't that great. They were aging. You could tell. And that happens when your quarterback is mediocre and everyone figures them out. The good thing about Bridgewater is, is that he is a, he's a higher IQ quarterback. He knows the league well and teams haven't figured him out. I mean, he went, there in New Orleans, walked in and won five straight games with a with that team. And I think he can do something similar in Carolina, but that's going to be the key thing for McCaffrey's production. If Teddy Bridgewater ain't great, don't expect CMC to be. 
and that's when that check is going to be um, questionable. All right, let's keep this hate fest going. So, like I said, this is the haters edition of the Happy Birth Sports Show. Thank you for tuning in. Please make sure that you go out and rate us and review us and give us those five stars. You don't think we deserve them? Just give us five anyway. Gifted. I mean, no reason not to show the love. Spread the love. Oh, yeah, sharing is caring. Please tell a friend, a neighbor, uh, your dog, just someone to go ahead and hit the download and play button. And they can give us all the strong opinions they want as well. So, the NBA... And the NBA G League, in my personal opinion, definitely threw a nice little interception. Got a nice interception off of college uh, basketball. And I think they've thrown themselves another one right afterwards. Or actually, they fumble in the bag. We'll put it like that. So, there was a recent announcement that... Jalen Green, who is ranked between number one and four in multiple rankings around the country uh, as uh, one of the top high school basketball players, has decided to he dec- he decided to opt out of going to college and he's going to play in the NBA G League instead. Now, of course, if you've listened to me in the past, you understand my advocation for the G League, not only working in it for years, but at the same time, thinking that it is untapped potential for the NBA. It's an untapped resource of revenue that could come through in the league, not only with some small television uh, contracts, but also tickets and exposure and getting fans to come to games. If you can go to a a NBA game and see some, you know, up and coming NBA talent for 10, 15 bucks, people would do it because something to do is exciting. So, the NBA had this option right there in front of them. They could have been finding ways to funnel players through and they haven't taken advantage of it. And there's reasons why. And I'll explain that a little bit later into here of it being explained why, but Jalen green decided to make this jump. Now, when I first saw it, I was like, yes, NBA's finally doing what they need to do. Then I read the fine print, you know, kind of like when you see that advertisement for, you can get this car for this much money. Um, or buying anything. This is the price. And you're like, oh, yeah, I can definitely do that. And you look in the fine print. Here's all your stipulations that go along with it. Yeah, I looked at the fine print and was pretty pissed. Um, Almost signed away my entire life, and I was mad. Because I looked at it, and what they're doing is is they have a new program that they're going to do. It's kind of an apprenticeship program. The apprenticeship program is similar to kind of what Darius Baisley did for the Oklahoma City Thunder. When he went and worked for New Balance in the internship for a year, they paid him a million dollars. He basically trained for a year, did a, got a shoe deal, and did a whole bunch of like learning advertising, marketing, um, and all of that stuff in preparation for the draft. Now that didn't hurt his draft stocks. He still got drafted in the in in the first round, which and he had a really good rookie campaign. Showed a lot of promise, but being a raw talent. But at the same time. He didn't go to college. He didn't even opt to go play in the G League. He stayed his butt at the house and trained to come to the league instead. So what Jalen Green is doing is the exact same thing. And another player, Isaiah Todd, is doing the exact same thing. He's decided to decommit from Michigan, and he's going to 
do the exact same thing in the G League. He was considered a number 34 prospect by the Athletics uh, Top 40, I guess. He decommitted, and he's going to follow Green to it. So they just kind of outed the salary he's going to make. So Jalen Green is going to make about 500000 doing this and could potentially re- reach over a million based upon endorsements, appearances, educational fees, all this kind of stuff. So there's twofold to this, and I feel like it's a, it's an exciting opportunity, but at the same time, it's missing out on more, more on a bigger bag. What's cool about the opportunity is is that it's, it's solid pay, all the endorsement opportunities. They're going to be trained and work and life skills training and everything with NBA caliber coaching. I heard there's a rumor that Sam Mitchell might be the head coach of this G League team that's not going to actually compete in the G League. It's like a select team. They're gonna What they're going to do is do exhibition games versus G League teams. And I think based upon that, their, their schedule is going to be between 10 and 20 games in comparison to a G League season, which is 50. So the select team's not going to have to play very many games. They're going to do a lot of training. They're basically, like I said, quote, unquote, interns or apprentice, but they're coming over and they're making that big bag. The NBA did this to try to get some of the talent that's still that's being stolen by like New Zealand and Australia in their leagues. Because remember, LaMelo Ball as well as RJ Hampton left and went and played. Heck, Terrence Ferguson went and played in Australia for a year and came back to the NBA and the league Adam Silver, as well as Shreve Abdul-Rahim, the president of the NBA G League, felt like the NBA has a much better development system. And I'm not going to argue that portion of it. So they tried to figure out a new system that will work. They tried to 125000 and just about everybody scoffed at that and said, nah, I wouldn't do that. Why would I play in the G League, traveling in all these small towns as a high schooler, as a as an 18-year-old or 19-year-old in all these small towns, living off 125 K I can just go overseas, make almost a million and be okay. If I'm going to be dropped in the middle of nowhere, I may as well be dropped in the middle of nowhere, making more money. You know what I'm saying? That made sense. I get that portion of it. The biggest argument, and I mentioned earlier why they didn't want to do that is because of that. They, a lot of agents, a lot of uh, personnel in the NBA didn't know, didn't know how they felt about these young kids going to these small towns, going to do these jobs in random cities and all of that. They also didn't know about the training staffs with these teams, these G League teams, uh, the focus on their, on those players' development and all that jazz. Now, with the G League getting to the point of a one-to-one relationship, the parent club controls who they have in there. Those are NBA caliber training staffs and coaching staffs. They control all of that end-to-end. So my understand what I don't understand is why would they not want them going to these small towns where they're segregated, focusing only on the game for 50 games instead of the full 82 game season, similar to a college schedule. It's like it's, it's an extension of a college schedule to kind of help get them into the groove of paying, playing an 82 game season that could potentially go on to 100 if you make it deep into the playoffs. Why wouldn't you want that from these young players? And I get you know, throw them in the middle of nowhere in these little small towns. I promise you, they'll be just fine. We send kids to the military overseas all the time. As long as you got the right support staff, it will work. Now, this is where their miss is. These guys most likely will not travel to any of the NBA G League towns. So there's an opportunity missed on boosting attendance, getting better TV deals and getting ratings. I mean, heck, throw this stuff on NBA TV or any other channel or local channel. Make some money off of it. You could have done that, but the league Scott didn't want to do it, and they lost out on this opportunity. 
Now, more of the details have not come out yet exactly how this program is going to work. I love the idea because it gives kids a path instead of wasting time as a one and done in college. Because remember, a lot of us are have the thought process. A buddy of mine was mentioning this. He's like, he likes the idea of college because it helps grow good citizens. It helps you understand life and understand how it is to be an adult and understand how the world, the world works. The problem with a lot of these, these basketball players is, is that because they're one and done, when they go to college, guess what? They're probably not going to class because all they got to do is just enough to get into the NCAA tournament and they're gone. So all that time is wasted. Now this is what makes this idea even better. Everybody's going to say, and then this is one thing I've heard is, well, they probably should go to college. So they have something to fall back on. Well, the NBA is providing scholarships for every player that does not go to college. So that if this does not work out, they can take that money and go to college and get an education. And to be honest, the way it works for a lot of these basketball players is better they go to they go to school either in the middle of their career or at the end of their career, because at that point is when they really need the information. They ain't learning nothing in, in, before. Most of them are barely going to class anyway. They're getting a piece of paper, and that piece of paper is only going to give them an opportunity to get a job, but they'll have no skills to go behind it. So I like that they're going to give them a college scholarship. I like that they're going to teach them life skills. I like that they're going to put them in an area where they can be successful. They're helping them. They're providing them all the tools to be successful. And it's the choice of the player to take advantage of them or not. The issue you run into, though, is the only issue I had with this and why I'm hating on it is they're not taking advantage of all of the real estate. They're not taking advantage of all of the the sales real estate that they have to push this product nationwide. Because I promise you, people would attend more G League games if there was more talent there. Heck, I remember here in Oklahoma City when Yasiel Puig was supposed to be assigned down. Clayton Kershaw was assigned down to uh, the Oklahoma City Dodgers and fans sold the place out. Why? Because they want to see that top-tier talent. And with those young guys, you advertise it right, bruh, people will come to those games. So let's take advantage of it, NBA. Don't pass up on money because I know y'all love your money. All right, let's wrap up this show with one thing that is going to be so much fun, and there's flags flying everywhere. Now, this isn't really a hater's ball on this situation, but at the same time, I've always been a hater of this individual. So this weekend, the uh, ESPN decided to pull up one series that they were going to show later on, actually after the NBA Finals, which is The Last Dance, Michael Jordan's final year with the Chicago Bulls. They're basically kind of doing a, ba- a docu-series. It's like, I think it's eight episodes. It's going to go over four weeks. It's two episodes or one or two episodes per day, per Sunday. And it's going to go over all of the, um, just what happened, the documentary they put together on the last season of Jordan with the Bulls. And it's going to be so cool. It's going to be great. It's going to be very nostalgic for a lot of us. A lot of people are going to reminisce on the times of sitting down watching the game with family and stuff or what they were doing at that time, where they were at when Jordan hit the big shot over Byron Russell. It's going to be awesome, but it's also going to give you an in-depth preview of who Michael Jordan really is. Now, it's not that hard to figure out who the dude is. Like, if you want to, like, for example, I'm reading a book 
by Sam Smith is called uh, The Jordan Rules. Book came out in the 90s. It's a very old book, but it's a great book. And that book honestly gave you the perception of who Michael Jordan really is. Uh, Jordan hated the book, mainly because he felt like it made him look like a bad guy. And you know what's funny? What did Jordan say about this docuseries that he helped record and with everything? People are going to think that he's a bad guy. He doesn't like his view. And in reading this book, The Jordan Rules, I'm reading it for uh, Bomani Jones's uh, The Right Time Book Club. He basically says in that, that his image with the media is important and he's always tried to cultivate that. Jordan was very, very cautious of his appearance in front of the media. But behind closed doors, Jordan was a different person. And in that book, Sam Smith was able to really show you an inside glimpse of what it looks like on the back end of stuff. Now, this is my defense when it comes to Michael Jordan on that portion of it. Michael Jordan may have been a bad guy, but that didn't really mean that he was a bad guy. Kind of like Zangief said, you know what I mean? He wasn't. And because if you really think about it, all y'all, including me, got trash moments in behind closed doors when it comes to work. Don't play. Every single one of y'all have said something about somebody that you work with. You may like that person, but hate some of the things they do. Heck, people may say the same things about you. I know people said things about me. Am I tripping about it? No. Because at the end of the day, I was productive. I've been productive. And I'm going to continue to be productive. And with a lot of those other people, I felt like they're productive enough. And when you're not productive, people will tell you how you're not productive because you usually end up not having a job. Those that really aren't productive, they're usually the ones that either get fired, laid off, or sent packing. They find a way to do it. Now, not with mass ones, but I'm talking about on your team, if you have that one individual and you finally get to swap them out, it be what it be. That's kind of how that works. That's how the game is. And in this one, it was no different with Jordan when it came to his teammates. He has particular, he had specific people that he wanted gone. He wanted certain people gone from the team. Heck, reading, if go read the Jordan rules. Go read it and see what he said about all those teammates he had before he got his first ring. Read that. It shows you perception is reality. And so making that first impression is important. That's what it shows you. And for Jordan, he gave us a good perception to the media, but when you see that back end perception of him, Oh man, he, he's a different animal and it's not, there's nothing wrong with what it's, it's not nothing wrong with kind of some of the stuff he said and his thoughts. It did, that, that was okay. But some of the things he did say, and he did, I mean, heck he did punch teammates. He clowned others in practice all the time and talked down to a lot of guys just because he could, Heck, at one point, Jordan didn't feel like certain teammates could even understand the triangle offense. He thought it was too complex for them. He thought he'd be fine. It was them he was concerned about, so he didn't think it'll work. They proved him wrong, but still, we all do it. So I'm so when you go in there, understand that MJ being the trash version of MJ is no different than the trash version of you. Because every single one of us has that trash version. And it's okay to have it because sometimes you just want the best for everybody. Sometimes you just trash in that moment. 
Just make sure that, you know, that isn't something you reflect all the time. Be like MJ. Try to be great in front of the media. Try to be great in front of fans. Well, he's terrible in front of fans. Try to be great in front of fans. Try to be great in front of everybody else. But behind closed doors, if you need to vent, you need to put out stuff and do it, do it behind closed doors and be careful. Because luckily for you all and me, our stuff won't get put out like this to the masses because we're not watching with the microscope. But Jordan himself is one of the is the greatest of all time or one of the greatest athletes to ever play the game, play any sport. You're going to be putting in that microscope. So enjoy the last dance on Sunday. Make sure you watch it. Please tell me your thoughts on that. It's going to be exciting. I'm actually amped about it. So we're going to wrap this bad boy up. Thank you for checking me out. As usual here on the Half Burst Sports Show, check out our website, halfburstsportshow.com, as well as um, our Twitter feed at Half a Bird Show for all the syndication. So for Mike, Bob, and Wendy, thank you for helping me out this uh, morning or whatnot. And for my co-host Jimmy, we'll have ourselves another show for you next week. Rate us, review us, and give us the five stars. I think we deserve it. Give us five anyway. Gifted. Talk to you guys a couple days. Peace. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet, but if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know it's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com Internet for details.